This is the Coach to Coach Podcast, episode number 39. Game time. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Coach to Coach Podcast, where we believe every kid deserves a coach that cares, and every coach deserves someone in their corner. I'm your host, Nate Salee, and this podcast is sponsored by the Northern Kentucky Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We continue to be super grateful to our donors, our board members, volunteers, prayer partners, and you, our listeners, that make things like this podcast possible and being a part of this movement of God that we call Northern Kentucky FCA. Well, for this episode, we have a special treat. Mo Isom Aiken came into town and spoke at two different events recently. One was our FCA Champions Luncheon, our fundraising event, main fundraising event for the year. But she also stayed after school uh, at a school and was able to speak with some local high school athletes. Now, Mo is a best-selling author of three different books. She is a speaker that's spoken uh, at conferences and in places all over the country. Uh, she has a uh, husband and four kids now, but she also has a great athletic background as well. That's not the main point of what she's excited about these days, but talking with athletes, her athletic pedigree is super impressive. She was an All-American goalkeeper at LSU, Louisiana State University there, and um, also got a chance to work out and try it out for the football team as a kicker. And one of the reasons they got attention for that is because she scored a 90-yard goal as a goalkeeper in an LSU game. It made Sports Center top 10, and the accolades are pretty impressive on the athletic side. But she has an incredible faith journey. She was very open and honest with some of the things that she struggled with as a student athlete. I think it'll be very valuable for you as a coach or a parent or whatever hat you have on listening to this, but to hear Mo's story of some of the struggles that she went through, but also she has some great awareness of some of the things that that our our kids are struggling with these days. And so you kind of get a great fly-on-the-wall perspective on the life of a student athlete in this day and time. You know, the Bible talks about a shepherd needing to know the condition of their flock. And there's other encouragements of knowing knowing the times, knowing the, the, the different things that are going on. And I think it'll be very valuable for you to know a little bit more of what life could be like for the, the athletes that you're coaching and how you can not only unlock their potential athletically, but also transform their lives in the process. Hey, well, hey, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's hop right into our content with Mo Isom Aiken. So I was raised in the church, for lack of a better word. I was raised in um, a Christian home with parents who, um, I'm just going to be so real and raw with y'all, because when I went to high school, I would have wanted something to just be frank and move past all the Christian language we hear all the time. I, I would say that I was raised in a Christian home with parents who wanted me to be a godly woman. But I didn't always, I was able to just like, I think just think about a lot of hypocrisy. I didn't always see that what it meant to be a Christian was really transforming their lives. I think especially in my dad's life, I didn't see that. My mom was more of a spiritual leader in our family, which set up for an interesting dynamic. 
Um, but I was raised up in the church, and it was kind of like a faith by inheritance. I was a Christian because my parents were Christians, right? So I'd be in church on Sunday because we went to church on Sunday. I'm from Georgia. It's the Bible Belt. It's what we do. Um, and I worked really hard to be a good person. I, like, wore a cross on my necklace and checked things off the checklist each week, having been present. And I looked around and I saw a lot of other people that seemed like more enthusiastic about the faith, that seemed like maybe they understood things in a different way, but I was very me-focused. So it was like, that's great, but I'll keep going through these motions, that's fine, this must mean what it means to be a Christian, Um, is I'm showing up, I'm going to church, I knew a lot about God, but there's a difference between knowing a lot about God and knowing God. One will leave you dead. One will bring you to life. So I knew a lot about God. But for me, I was focused on control athletically. I wanted to determine how successful I would be. Relationally, I wanted to determine how things would go. When I would get a boyfriend, I wanted to determine who my friend groups would be. I was doing some pageants and acting at the time. I wanted to determine how successful I would be there. And then socially, I wanted to determine where I would fit in school. It was very, very important to me. And I was six feet tall as a freshman, so I didn't totally fit physically right off the bat. And that actually became the very thing that so many people uh, whether they meant it for harm or in a jest, their words, uh, I was immediately labeled the huge girl and the giant at school. My gifts and my talents athletically uh, weren't like celebrated like you think they would be, right? They were um, my size and my height was the very thing that was used to bully me. And so I wanted control of all these things, and I moved into high school, and I realized I didn't actually have much control over any of them. And I was walking on eggshells at home, because if I didn't play well, or if I brought from a bad grade, I would get silent treatment from my dad, sometimes for days. Um, I was always trying to make my dad proud, always trying to control things, always trying to figure out how successful I would be, and... Um, man, walked in this nervous space of letting anyone down. And those control issues at the time, I'm just, again, totally frank with you guys, I, at nine years old, was um, exposed to pornography and was starting to struggle with really an addiction to those things. It wasn't as even as easy as it is for you guys now to navigate and click to stuff. I had to, like, seek it out, and yet it was consuming to me. I was the good-looking church girl on the outside who was making the good grades and who was excelling in sports. But inside, I was very much wanting control. I was very anxious. I was very overwhelmed by having been exposed to things sexually way earlier than I should have. I would have dreams at night that would wake me up and just leave me drained. I felt depressed. I felt um, confused, and I just felt overwhelmed. The Word of God says Jesus saw the people, um, and he had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And as a young kid, I felt sometimes like without a shepherd, just overwhelmed by so many things on all sides coming against me. I wasn't advancing through the soccer teams at the pace I wanted to. Socially, I stepped out like a sore thumb. 
I didn't fit with the group I thought I would. I was bullied instead. Relationally, things were tense at home. And with pageants and acting, like I said, other girls had deeper resonance. They were moving and dancing faster. And feeling like so much was out of control and feeling so overwhelmed by so many things. The enemy met me with a lot of lies about my worth, my value, my beauty, my body, my purpose for my life, and essentially told me there was something I needed to control. Something had to be my thing, and I needed to figure out what that was. And that desperation for control when things weren't going the way that I hoped they would uh, manifested for me into a really vicious eating disorder. It started as anorexia. Quickly, I realized I still needed some fuel for my sport, so it kind of evolved into bulimia. And then the enemy still met me with these thoughts and these lies constantly. It's not enough. You're not good enough. Do more. Sacrifice more. Give more of yourself. You're still not enough. And so it evolved into kind of a combination of two conditions where there were days I would eat an apple and make myself purge like seven, eight times a day. I started logging calories in, workout hours. I was just fixated. Because here's the reality. This is how you know you're in prison. You're not actually free. When you hope for something and it doesn't come to pass, and the answer of what you convince yourself of is that you need to do more, try harder, figure it out, have more control, and you start cycling until you are absolutely unhealthy and unhappy and unwell and consumed. That's how you know you're still captive, and Jesus wants to actually set you free. I was in this place, and it was very very overwhelming. I remember the world still had a big applause for me. You'll still get a ton of likes on Instagram and TikTok and all these things, even when you know you're living this very fake life. You'll still get those things from the world for what you put forward, right? The world had a big thumbs up for me. I got the college scholarship. No one knew how much I was struggling and suffering behind closed doors. And so I set to go off to LSU a semester early in Titans. <laughs> Um, it's fine. We can continue everything. It's fine. Point is, I was set to go play soccer at LSU, and I remember sitting in my bedroom one night. I couldn't have told you the book of the Bible, the context of the scripture. I couldn't have told you anything about it, but somehow, in the kindness of God's love, He brought me to a piece of scripture that simply said, "Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." I didn't know what that meant or what that was going to look like. But I remember feeling this overwhelming urge to share about what had been going on, what I had been keeping hidden. My mom had came to put up laundry in my room, and I just word vomited all over her. Everything I had been going through, all of my struggles with the eating, the disordered eating, and um, how overwhelmed I felt and scared I felt, and obsessed with controls and out of control. She got me a nutritionist and a counselor, but what my mom ultimately instilled in me is that if I wanted healing, I had to pursue the healer. There was no more faith by a leash, like by my parents. There could be no more of just claiming I'm a Christian. If I wanted healing, I have to pursue one of God's names is Yahokarapha. He's a great physician. I had to pursue the healer and figure out what that meant in my life to encounter Jesus. So I didn't know what that meant exactly, but I said, okay, I'll try. And I went off to college, and the enemy met me with a lie. And he might be deceiving you guys in this way again, 
remember the word of God says that we would have no part in darkness, so he said we would expose it. That's why I talk about Satan a lot and the enemy and what he wants to do in your life and how he's treating you. And so he told me, um, it's fine. It's fine if you're a Christian. That's fine. Uh, you can do that. You can live that, but keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything about it. Don't talk about it out loud because you don't know everything there is to know. And you don't know all the scriptures and you couldn't like share the gospel right in this moment and no one's going to fall to their face and give their life to Jesus. And you aren't enough, does that sound familiar, to even be like an outspoken Christian. So say you're a Christian, that's fine. Um, identify yourself as that, but be quiet about it. And the Spirit of God was so kind in that moment because he really met me with a truth at the same time, even though I didn't know much. And said, so I'm not asking you to say that you're a believer um, because you have everything figured out and all of the answers. I'm asking you to profess in boldness that you love me and that you're following me because you're learning and you're growing and I will hold everything together. I will give you the answers. I will heal you. I will transform you. It's actually about me. And so give me the glory and watch what I will do. I said, okay. So I started to live that out. Had this amazing freshman year. My second game ever as a freshman lined up to take a routine free kick and scored a 90-yard goal. It was crazy. It went on Sports Center. It was like absurd. Um, I tried to redo it. I did not. I had to make up excuses. My muscles would not do the same thing anymore. Uh, it was amazing. I had this great freshman year, ended all American, Louisiana freshman of the year, all SEC, just all these different things that it felt like, oh wow, God. I give you the glory, and I share that I know you and I love you, and you give me the blessings. This is great. This is what it must mean to be a Christian. And that is also an incomplete understanding of the faith. Because I began to do that, and I felt untouchable and invincible. And then I went home for Christmas break, for winter break, uh, and one night my dad didn't come home. And then hours passed, and our angst rose, and we didn't know where he was, and his cell phone was going to voicemail. We found a love note written by him and like a voicemail on our answering machine, um, but we couldn't find him. And I fell asleep that night, not sure what to pray, because I felt completely disoriented. And I'm like, God, I thought I gave you the glory, and you gave us the blessings, and now we're in this sort of weird stretch. We don't know what's going on. And I uh, woke up the next morning to my mom screaming with this piece of paper in her hand from the printer, like crackling in her hand, get the car, get the car, she started things and piled the car. She finally answered a sheet of paper into the back, so I was begging to see it and to know what was going on. And I ironed out these creases and looked down, and it was a suicide letter from my dad that he had emailed in the early morning hours. He summarized his life in four little paragraphs, and now we're trying to find him before he gave up. And we went all over town and ended up at his office. And I'll never forget when three police officers walked through the door and they'd been searching to, trying to find clues where he may be. And they told my mom, man, we found your husband. We thought, oh, thank you, God. Whatever is going on, I don't understand it. I don't know what the answer will be, but you've shown that you're good, and so you'll do it again. And so thank you, God. We just let us find my daddy. Where is he? And they said, I'm sorry, let us clarify. Uh, we found your husband's remains. 
So it was January 3rd, 2009, that my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger, and I took off running from God. I'll be honest with you guys, even having encountered death so closely at such a young age and seeing my dad's body on the work table, I felt overwhelmed that I was also going to die. I was going to die young. I was sure of it. I was going to take my own life, whether I wanted to or not. This is another work of the enemy. If you were hearing any type of voice or anything convincing you that you are not meant to live, that you need to change things, that you need to take matters into your own hands, this is not the spirit of God speaking to you. And I would be tormented in my thoughts convinced. I mean, I am resentful. I am full of anger. I feel abandoned. I feel orphaned. I feel like my love, my dad's love for me wasn't enough for him to stay. I'm hurting. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I went on to school and it became sexual promiscuity. It became the thing that maybe would fill the void in my heart. Maybe somebody will give me their heart if I give them my body. Maybe if I just try this or do this again, I can numb the pain. I'm drinking, I'm partying. Serious looks like the average college experience. That's what's terrifying, is that there are a lot of people acting and living in these ways, and we think, oh, cool, they're just having a fun college time. Don't be deceived, it's not reality. These are real people who are really wrestling with stuff deep down, and the way it acts itself out of us is in sin. Right? It's how the enemy uses us, and we just end up destroying our own lives. And that was me. It was just building a reputation, depressed, consumed, overwhelmed. And I remember heading home for Thanksgiving break from Baton Rouge to Atlanta, and I was really at the end of my rope. I was so tired of thinking, fine, we could win like Academy Awards for what great actresses we are, and the masks that we hide behind, and how we act like we're doing just fine. And really, we are not. And I was heading home and watching the line just like take by on the interstate, zoned out. The posture of my heart was just like, God, this sucks, to be honest. This is awful. I don't want to live like this. If you're so real, you have to do something. Because I don't even know that I believe that you're real or that you're good or that you're loving. I don't know what I believe. I feel like I don't even know what from now. And so you have to do something or else end everything. I remember the next thing I knew, my car had veered and I was in the center median and my wheel was like cranking and jerking. I could pull it back onto the interstate, shot straight across the embankment, flipped my Jeep several times, and landed upside down in this ravine at 1.30 in the morning, completely alone and completely physically broken. I broke a vertebrae in my neck, damaged my ribs, lungs, liver, jaw, face, but I remember hanging upside down in that Jeep and the presence and the power of the spirit of the living God was absolutely overwhelming. The cry of my heart had been, God, if you're so real, do something. I need an encounter. And the power of God flooded into that wreckage and completely overwhelmed me. It was like it's so hard to explain. It was like the weight of his glory was crushing almost, like so amazingly heavy, but at the same time was healing and transforming me all in this moment, the sustaining love of God. I had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and it 
completely overwhelmed me. And it was in that wreckage that it's like, we have all the reasons why God's mercy and grace isn't for us, right? Like, I'm an immigrant, I say I'm a Christian, but I know what I'm doing behind closed doors. I know what I did with that guy that weekend, and I know what I've been doing that my parents told me not to do, and I know, you know, all these things, and God, certainly it's not me. You don't see me. You don't want me. You don't love me because of all of these things. And in fact, the Bible tells us, the Word of God tells us, it's for the least of the lost that He even comes to redeem and set free. You are not beyond His mercy. You're not beyond His grace. As I hung upside down in this vehicle, it was like the presence of God was overwhelming me. And the word that he continually repeated to me, first Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And then it was like he downloaded the depths of the gospel into me. And instead of promiscuous girl or suicidal guy's daughter or even athlete or even, um, you know, great student or even failure, any of these false identities I've been weighed down by. In that moment, he wrote a new banner over my story that said, redeemed. If I would repent of my sin, if I would turn away from it and turn towards him, the new identity he had for me was redeemed. Redeemed as his daughter. Do you know you began not as like sinner in need of a savior? That's how we always start the gospel. That's not where the gospel begins. The gospel begins that you are an image-bearing creation of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the plans and the purposes he has for your life. He knows the ways that he made you. He knows the quirks in you, the talents in you, the plans he has for you. You were made to reflect the goodness and glory of God to the world with his spirit living in you, giving you the power to do that. But in sin, we come out of that, right? We're away from that. We're conceived in inequity even. We're like fallen in a fallen world. But it's not because that's where your identity starts. To redeem means that Jesus came to deem back, to redeem who you were truly made to be. He came on a rescue mission to break down these prison gates that are holding you with depression, with anxiousness, with feeling like I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, there's nothing good about me. With sin that consumes you that you can't seem to escape, like those same repetitive sins you just keep committing. Jesus came to take the cross, to, to get the keys, as the Word of God says, to bust down that prison gate and to draw you out of darkness into his glorious light. He came to set you free. Not that we would be Christians who lived through life trying to cope. He came to set the captives free. He loves you. He gave his life to do it. That by faith when you receive of him, you would know the truth about your identity. You are an image-bearing creation of God. It doesn't matter if you've been told your whole life that you're a mistake, that you were the oops baby, that you were an accident, that you're not worth anything, that you're not valuable, or that you've been pumped up your whole life and you were the best thing that's ever happened to earth, and you go to bed at night and you're like, I know that's not reality. There's two swings to this thing, right? These false identities that have hurt us and confused us. And goodness, one time culturally now, but it's like identity is just relative. No, your identity is not relative. 
You were made in the image of God. Your identity is as a son or the daughter of the Most High God. He came to free you from all that's confusing you and overwhelming you. I know he can because I know he did. He set me free. I said yes to Jesus in that wreckage, and my life never looked the same after that. I still went through a lot of challenges, a lot of valleys, lost a lot of up on more acquaintances and friends, lost a lot of people. But I started truly wanting to seek after God's heart, to walk in his way, but I couldn't stop telling people this good news. And I wish I had known in high school that someone would have come and said, hey, you can avoid a lot of what you're going to walk and navigate through by allowing God to actually transform your heart in this very moment. Hear that you're loved. Hear that you're known. Hear that you're valuable. Hear that you don't have to keep abusing your body. Hear that you don't have to keep following what everybody else is doing. You know it leaves you completely empty. Hear that you don't have to keep having sex with that person because that is popular and that's who you want to be with. And hear that you don't have to keep compromising and doing all of these things that you know you fall asleep empty because they just don't satisfy. Hear that the popular girl who you want to be just like, you're not even going to remember probably in like five, ten years. Hear that your life is more valuable than trying to look and live like someone else. Your life was bought by the blood of Jesus. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit that you can walk forward even now in power and in purpose and healing and in wholeness. No matter what your family situation looks like or your past, he comes to set the captives free. I was delivered of that spirit of suicide miraculously. I was delivered from my addiction to pornography. It stretched 10 years of my life. And yes, I thought like no women felt back and it wasn't talked about, right? Reality check, it's affecting every single one of us. You guys are like assaulted on all sides by sexually perverse things, even just trying to click through social media. It's real, and then it feels really overwhelming. I was delivered of depression and anxiety. God's healed. He brought me family. And the word of God says, for my father and mother forsake me, Lord, you are there. He healed my wounds of feeling like an orphan, feeling abandoned. He set me free from compulsive behaviors. He set me free from self-harm issues. He set me free from body issues. This is what the power of God wants to do for you today and every day moving forward. So I want to share that with you guys, and I want to leave us a few minutes here for questions. I really am an open book. But after accepting Jesus and after by faith receiving his Holy Spirit and being filled with his Holy Spirit fire, this is for you, baptism by fire, Man, my life, it changed completely. Still went through hard stuff, a lot of hard stuff, but there was divine hope. I hear the voice of God. I know what he's saying. He leads me in the way that I should go. This is for you to do. Man, I've seen miracles happen. Been miraculously healed. See others healed. This is for you, too, to see these things come to pass in your life. This is a portion of the daughters and sons of God. That we would know him, not just know about him, know him, that we would follow him, and that we would see his kingdom come in wild ways. Way more worth it. The stuff I've seen and the stuff I've experienced since following him puts everything before him totally to shame. Man, his glory is great. 
and he wants you to come alive to it now, to know your true identity now, so that you don't waste time, and so that your story can really be used for his glory. So it's 4.50, 4.48. We've got a few minutes. Um, I know you guys submitted some questions, and I'm also open if people want to raise their hand and ask questions. So I'm going to start with one of the questions that we were that have been submitted, sure. and then if you guys want to, just raise your hand or yeah. text me. Okay. All right. So the first one we got uh, was, how do you continue to walk in the pathway of Christ while continuing to play sports? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> Y'all are going to love my answer, um, but I'm going to give it to you, anyways. In a lot of our lives, our sport is become our God and our idol. The vast majority of your time is spent in your sport. The vast majority of your thoughts and your focus are spent in your sport. And this is an idol that has to come down uh, in the name of Jesus. And so for me, what I realized as an athlete was, oh, my identity is not as the all-American soccer player. My identity as a daughter of the Most High King. So I'm going to allow him to use me in the sports area, I will allow, uh, I guess what I really began to understand was my relationship with God become, comes first, and I play and compete for an audience of one. So I'm going to allow him to uh, be glorified by the way that I play, by the type of competitor that I am, by the excellence that I bring to the game, by the way that I build up my teammates and pray for them, and like, talk about life that matters with them versus just sports and stuff that doesn't matter at all. I'm going to let him use me in that way, and I am going to leverage this platform or this, or this sport. Like, I was playing college soccer at the time at a very high level. We were in the NCAA tournament. It was, um, there was a lot of, it was a big level of soccer at a Division One school. And I'm going to understand that he brought me here to use this for his glory. So rather than being crushed by loss and thinking on the stuff when we win, rather than putting my worth and my value in how I perform, I'm going to remember that these games, these practices, this time on the bus, this time with my teammates, this is a mission field. And wherever I, I am, I'm going to be all there on mission for the gospel. So I can play this sport, and I can enjoy it, but it's not my God. And if it threatens to be, I have to force that false God to bend the knee. So I'm going to prioritize my time in the Word and my time in prayer. I'm going to live my life in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And I'm going to keep that at the front and the top priority and let the sport take its seat where it belongs. And all things go well as a result. Um, there's never a time that I'm like, man, I probably should have like had less deep conversations with that team instead just been like binging pro sports that I could watch them and get better. But I have no regrets looking back at that. <coughs> regrets, I don't think that's happened to this long story. Anyways, um, different generations. <laughs> but I am, um, I would encourage you are going to prioritize your life is actually going to reflect what's most important to you. Where you put your time, your money, your attention, your thoughts, that's showing what your God is. And so if any of those things steal the place of time in his work, time in prayer, and time in community, growing in the things of God, then you can recognize an idol. Let it come down. 
prioritize time with Jesus and let him use you in that space of sports for his glory. Awesome. Just got one. Okay. Live. This is happening. Live action. All right. <laughs> this is a really great one, too. It says, uh, you said that you wished you were told you were told that following God could have avoided all you went through. Do you think that what you went through was meant to be to help you realize you want and need this close relationship with God? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, my answer would be God's good and he's sovereign and he's in control. The word of God says that he uses all for his glory. And so I praise God that he used every day, every hour, every event, every moment for his glory in the end and now. Uh, but at the same time, too, we have a free will, right? And we have the ability to choose. I think a lot of the time we think, oh, I'll just do all this now, just like my high school experience, right? Or it's just the college experience. And then I'll get serious about following God after that has happened. And this is such a shame. This is a, a waste. I, I say that I share now because I care that people would wake up now because I wish I had chosen him sooner so that all that did happen in life I could have um, discerned better. I could have avoided a lot of pain, a lot of sin, a lot of hardship. I could have, um, maybe even if the loss of my dad still came to pass, it wouldn't have spiraled me into a place of anxiety attacks and depression, the place that enemy wants to just pin us. So a twofold answer. On one hand, I wish I had heard and received when I was younger so I could have handled all that life felt differently. Um, and for his glory we're off if we think like I'll just live all that stuff then I'll figure it out that's upside down thinking Um, but at the same time it's not what happened and yet I still praise God because he used every trial every hardship every piece of bondage every brokenness every hard season he redeems every bit of it for his glory it gives me the ability to speak to people who are captured by those same things and try to wake them up so that they don't have to live that too. Uh, but he's sovereign, he's holy, he uses it all, and I'm grateful that uh, he did. We would get in a really weird place if we live stuck in this spot of like, I wish I could go back and change X, Y, or Z. I can't. You can be healed for these things, but we can't change that, right? So we still have to stand in the present and say, it is what it is, it was what it was, and from this point forward, I'll continue to walk in the ways of God and help it all glory. That's good. We got two more. Okay. Um, okay, the next one is, how did you, obviously you've had a testimony that you shared with so many people and it's reached so many people. How did you develop that to be able to share it? Good question. Um, I would say, first and foremost, that we are in a day and an hour where everyone's looking for the formula and the plan and um, the way to go viral, the way to get the likes, the way to build a brand. That sounds so weird to high schoolers, but it's like reality. There's literally college kids now, it's even a commodity of building a brand, you can make money. It is, we live in a culture that is all about the commercialization of you. And doesn't really care about your heart or your soul. Cares about um, your elevation. 
And I, I hear from a lot of people that are like, I just want to do what you do. I just want to stand on a stage and I just want a microphone and I just want like the people, because I'll speak sometimes to thousands and thousands of people. I just want that. And how do you get that? And I'm like, man, we're asking the wrong question. When I came to know Jesus in college, his touch on my life was so overwhelming, I couldn't stay quiet about it. Y'all, I look foolish. I sent out a Facebook group invitation. God called me into this intimacy fast. I called it Kissless till next Christmas because I was a whole mess through Jesus. And then when I met him, he was like, you know this has to go, right? Everything is about to change. I was like, yes. So I'm like, I'm going to do this intimacy fast for a year. I'm not going to date. I'm not going to flirt. I'm not going to be involved with anyone. I'm like fixing my eyes on Christ. I sent out a whole Facebook group invite to 5,000 Facebook friends. And the profile photo, I found a little cool. <laughs> I found this cross and I set up the camera and I was like (laughs) (laughs) and that was the crop photo and the group was called Kissless Till Next Christmas and I sent out the invite to 5,000 friends on Facebook no one joined (laughs) one person I got ridiculed I got laughed at <laughs> but I didn't care because I knew I needed the accountability of others knowing I'm sold out. I'm not changing direction. This is what I'm doing. If you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. And I went so zealous. And so word spread because that was awkward. So word spread um, from there. But also, I just couldn't stop sharing the good news of Jesus. And people knew how off my life was before. Like, they knew I had a reputation. I was a partier. I was drinking. I was hooking up with who knows who. Like, and so then they started to see, wait, she's not going to any of the same places. She's not doing any of the same things. And places started inviting me in. Will you share with us your testimony? Will you tell us about, like, what has changed? And I just, the word of God says, like, um, send me, Lord. Like, that's a, that's a prayer. Send me, God. And that was my prayer. Like, I'll tell anybody out there. I look stupid out there. I look foolish. Y'all, I was one of the first people that I knew to raise up my voice and be like, y'all, women are great by porn. And anyone's a set us free. And even people in the Christian community at the time were like, you can't say that. You cannot talk about these things. Yes, I can. Because the glory of God wants to set the captives free. And so sharing my testimony uh, became just the overflow of my heart. And God will open doors, open doors, open doors. If you'll practice, get that muscle memory, sharing your story with a friend, with a couple friends, to your teammates, it is how God will allow you to learn how to tell your testimony. I've told it so many times, and I bomb sometimes. Like, I don't make any sense. Other times, I've seen people, like, by the dozens come to know Jesus as a response, like, He'll, he wants you to testify. The word of God says that it needs to be by the blood of the Lamb the word of our testimonies. That there's power, power of life, and death lies in our tongue. So he wants to use your story, but it takes um, responding when he creates an excitement in you to do it, right? 
Or even if you're nervous, you're like, I sick, I can't tell that to me. I know that you don't even get along. She's the one that's always so mean to me. I don't know how I would do that. It's finding the end and it's responding to that urgency you feel and to share. And God has just began to open doors from then to now where I travel all over the world and, and teach the word of God and share the testimony. That didn't start by saying, what's the formula to get X number of followers? It always started by saying, God, how do I give you glory? Anywhere you call me, I'll go. If it's smaller, if it's big, and he sees that as a result. So find the courage to share your story. If that helps you write it out, write it out, organize your thoughts, um, and then man, move forward when he stirs in you that it's time to tell. And you'll find that uh, strength, that muscle, that ability to testify um, in really awesome ways. Yeah, I love that. I just want to add one thing because I feel like you mentioned like the power of a testimony and it's yours. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody it's, I mean, I think people are really intimidated to open the word and teach from the word. Maybe they're like, I don't feel ready for that. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but your testimony is yours. It's your story. And so, and maybe some of you are like, okay, I'm starting to think about my story and I don't actually know how God fits into that. And that's like, okay, well that's next steps of like, let's get to know this God. Let's have an encounter with him and, and build that, that story up. So totally. Yeah. That's a great, great way to put it. Um, it is, people can argue your theology, they can argue mm-hmm. your interpretation of the Bible, they can argue a lot of stuff, uh, but they can't argue your testimony of what and how God moved yes. in your life. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know mm-hmm. that he has, like, um, I don't even know where he fits, mm-hmm. this is a time to allow him to search your heart, to say, God, i I want to encounter you. Let me take inventory of the ways that maybe I am being deceived, or I am overwhelmed, or I am, you know, struggling, or I do need you. That's a humble heart that says, let me, let me ask God, where in my life do I need you? Like, where am I lacking? The answer will always be, like, the whole of your life. But that's the place to begin to say, Man, I, I am feeling anxious. I am feeling overwhelmed. God, I, I want to receive your, your freedom. Help me understand. And then you have great people who want to walk with you and show you the way and help you understand so that you can discover testimony um, and lose it, power, and set you free. I got one more, and I know we're pushing it, but this is a good one. So um, it talks about your husband, and I'm sure you're going to be excited to talk about him. Um, so the question was basically, like, what's what stood out to you that was different about him than all the others? Oh, my goodness, the best question in the world, the easiest <laughs> answer on planet Earth. Oh, they all look like peasants in comparison to the <laughs> Jeremiah is. Look back and I kick myself. I'm like, what were you thinking? So I moved through almost two years of this intimacy fast of really saying, like, God, what the Lord really said to me was, How can you uh, love me in a monogamous relationship, a one on one? God, you have all of my heart, I have all of yours. And He's like, We have an adulterous heart. And so I was wanting God, but I also wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in a relationship with God, but I also needed other people to make me feel worthy. I wanted the fun and the fix of, of lust. I wanted all these things. And God was like, you can't have both, so you need to decide. Um, and it, what he promised me was that if I uh, trusted him, he would give me the desires of my heart. 
that he would um, satisfy me, that in his presence I would feel whole and enough and content. And I came into a place where the presence of God and the love of Jesus satisfied me enough that what the future held would truly be trusted in his hands, whether that was that I never got married, or whether that was that he did have a husband for me, whether we weren't able to have children, whether we were, that would be all like icing on top of a heart that was fully satisfied in Christ. And so I spent that two years of that intimacy fast. It's supposed to be one, it's so good, it went up two. And then when I met my husband, my now husband, Jeremiah, because I had been in the presence of God, because he'd been changing, transforming me, I suddenly knew what to look for in another, to see the fruit of God or the evidence of God in their life. It were the things and qualities and traits that actually mattered. So I met my husband, um, and first off, he's just, y'all, I just had to see a picture, and I was like, wow, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm just please, Lord. Because then when he walked in the room for the first time, I was like, oh, by the Spirit of God, please marry me. <laughs> Say that. But I felt um, But when he spoke, he was kind, he was patient, he was gentle. He was, is not a man easily stirred to anger. He was generous, he was tender. Think of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These were all of the traits that Jeremiah carried so effortlessly. And I could easily discern, oh, this is a man who who obeys God's word, who spends time with the Lord, and the Lord is working himself out through his heart. And like our first date was um, with this ministry that serves the homeless under the overpasses in Atlanta. And he called about a different date, and I called him back and said, actually, I'd like to hang out with you even sooner, and on Tuesday I'm going to do this ministry. Would you want to come? I didn't know the guy from Adam. And he was like, of course. So I'm watching this man literally wrap up the homeless, unshowered, you know, uh, discarded people of society, wrapping them up in hugs, laying hands, praying over them. On our first date, in deep conversation, our subsequent dates together, he respected me, he honored me, he cared, he got excited about the work that God was doing in my life. I was able to share some of my past and my story, and he saw the beauty of redemption, not like, oh, you've done that with you. I don't want anything to do with you then. The, the evidence of Jesus in his heart and on his life were so obvious. I did not have to decode them. Some of y'all are trying to chase after guys or dating guys or with girls, where it's like we have to squint and turn and try to decode to see if there's any evidence of God working in their life. It's not for you. The word of God says, flee, flee. Trust me, please flee. Because I look back at the ones who in college, I was like, that guy, it's gotta be that guy, that guy. And then I look back now, it's the most toxic, unhealthy, horrible, used me, never affirmed the gifts in my life. I don't even think they know Jesus, most any of them. It's like, but I was able to quickly and easily discern 
the spirit of God inhabiting the man that's not my husband that I have the four most beautiful children with. And our love and our relationship and our marriage has only grown and flourished in friendship and fruitfulness. He's only down to four, four kids right now so that I can go share the gospel. And it's like these things are worth waiting for, searching for, praying for, and discerning well. You don't want to end up with somebody that because you were trying to rush something happening, you're with a crappy person. Many of us have known the results of, of that from our own parents' marriages or our own households. Or like, for me, again, that unequal yoking between my dad and my mom made for a really hard household. That's not your portion in Jesus' name. Your portion is to spend time with God to pursue the Lord, and then He will be able to open your eyes and give you discernment on those around you um, who are doing the same. And when your soul is satisfied in Him, if He brings a gift like a Jeremiah, it is truly a blessing. My happiness does not hinge on my husband satisfying my every need, want, thought, emotion. I'm satisfied in Christ. So my husband is truly a blessing, not an entitlement. Many of us are functioning like, I need that relationship. I need it. I deserve it. No, 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 no. Pursue your relationship with Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added to you, is what the word of God says. But the priorities have to be right, or else we'll just end up in another soft session about how another guy hurt us, about how we gave ourselves away again, about how it all wasn't enough, and we'll find our way back to um, reaching out for prayer and for help. And God wants you to end these cycles and to walk forward so you can open your eyes and show you what's next for Thank you. Just give it up for Mo. Well, there you have it, guys. Our content for Mo Isom Aiken has come to a close. Thanks again so much to Mo for coming into town and serving us in that way. I hope more than anything, it just was an inspiration. It was an encouragement to you as well as eye-opening just to the world that an athlete in 2021 is walking through and walking a mile in their shoes a bit, some of the issues and the struggles that they may be dealing with. And hopefully that can help just uh, help you become more aware and become a better coach and connect uh, not just with the X's and O's of the games, but also with the hearts of your players and to encourage them on their journey as well. Because just like it's very difficult for us as adults, it's pretty hard out there for athletes as well. And hopefully that can just kind of uh, encourage empathy for both sides and yeah just be a blessing across the board hey if you want to connect with us go to nkyfca.org there you can find resources all the other podcast episodes if you haven't already subscribed on the app that you're listening to as well as upcoming events we have a coach and spouse getaway coming up during martin luther king weekend uh january 16th and 17th down in lexington one of the best events we do nkyfca.org on the coaches tab, you'll be able to find all the information for that. Well, until next time, keep growing, keep learning, and keep changing lives on your team and in your home.